Sounds like they're having fun out there. All right, so this morning we are continuing on with our just two-week series on Psalm 40 of trusting God and asking for help. If you remember last week, we were looking back. Uh, we talked about how looking back is a great way forward. And as you begin reading Psalm 40, it begins, the first 10 verses are all about um, talking about how God has been faithful and how that is a great place for us to begin as we work through difficult things in our lives. And I've been thinking some about me, uh, as I was talking some last week, and most of you know, uh, two years ago, Tracy, my wife, was diagnosed with, with breast cancer. And uh, for the last two years, we've been working through that. Uh, she was, had her final surgery uh, last April. And I've been still myself, and I'm grateful Tracy doesn't seem to wrestle with it as much as I do, but still this uh, fear, fear of recurrence for her. And so I've been asking for uh, the last year, like, Lord, please help me to trust in you. Please help me to set down my fear, to trust in you for the future. And I was thinking some about how hard it can be, um, you know, that, that first, those first few weeks when Tracy was diagnosed, it just seemed like things would go from worse to worse to worse. And the bottom just felt like it kept falling out. And so trusting, again, has been difficult. Um, and I still, the first part of Psalm uh, 40 talks about, Lord, you lift me out of the mud, out of the mire. Lord, you've been faithful, and God has been faithful, and he's continuing to lift me out. But I also want to say, too, that um, maybe some of you are in a similar place. Maybe some of you are needing help right now. Maybe things have uh, happened recently, or you're in the midst of it right now, and you are asking God for help, and you are crying out, Lord, please help me. And maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're afraid of what might be or what you don't know will be. And maybe you're asking, how do I get through this? How do I navigate this? Where do I get help? And so I have this uh, passage. If you want to, uh, in your bulletins, uh, there's Psalm 40. It's just the last half of it, verse 11. And, and I went with the, the New American Standard Bible this morning instead of NIV just because it goes a little bit closer to the Hebrew, which was... I think there's some important parts about that. So um, if you want to, if you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 40, or if you want to, you can just look at it uh, in the bulletin as well. If you would uh, read with me. Psalmist writes, You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion from me. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me, so that I am not able to see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life to destroy it. Let those, who turned, let those be turned back and dishonored who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. Let those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. So this is the, the first part of the passage here where it talks about waiting patiently for the Lord, how God turned to us and heard our cry. That's the first part of this passage, and it reminds us that looking back uh, helps us move forward. Um, let me just read it for you. 
I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to God that looking back can help us move forward. And as we read this, this next passage, as we read um, verses 11 to 17, the first thing that I realized as I was working through it this week is that the Lord will preserve us in trouble. Um, I like this first part of this um, because in the first uh, 10 verses, uh, the psalmist is speaking the truth. That, and then here it says, God will not withhold his compassion. God is um, faithful. And it's interesting here, these, the words that he uses in um, Hebrew, it talks about his loving kindness and his truth. Um, in Hebrew, it's chesed and emet. Um, chesed is God's steadfast, his never stopping, never ceasing, never giving up, always and forever love. His faithfulness that keeps pursuing us. And emet is his, it's truth, but also it's this idea of faithfulness, that God is there, that he continues to be there. And, and both of these words are preceded by continually. God is continually loving and continually uh, faithful. And then it talks about, too, this idea that God uh, preserved me. And it was interesting for me as I kind of dug into that word, uh, Nazar in Hebrew, but it has this broader range and it's talking about, it's like a guard at a gate or a, a guard in a watchtower who keeps watch. So I was looking at it, preserved, it, it gets at it, but it's bigger than that too. It's about how God is continually guarding over us, continually pre- protecting us, continually uh, watching out for us. And it's interesting too is how there's this shift that happens. So in the first part of the psalm, 1 to 10, verses 1 to 10, it's recounting God's faithfulness and then recounting the psalmist's faithfulness. But at verse 11, things change. And there's this shift, the, the, crucial, the crucial shift, as I call it. And it shifts from what God has done in the past to what God will do in the future. That we can ask for help. Listen to it, verse 11 again. It says, You, O Lord, will not withhold your compassion. Your loving kindness and your truth will continually preserve me. So by looking back at the past, at God's faithfulness in our lives or our faithfulness in human history, we can begin to speak about the future, that God has this track record that we can trust in, that his loving kindness, his hechsed, and his emet, his faithfulness will endure continually. He will keep watch over us. It's this truth or this switch that happens. And it's this verse 11 that is a, a connector of sorts that connects the two halves of this psalm. In the beginning, begins with recounting, and now it gets into asking for help. Just reminds me of that looking back pays off. And even this morning, and I was praying for this morning, for if I'm sitting in the service thinking about the hundred different things that I uh, go through my head, asking the Lord for help. And I was thinking about how, you know, how many Sundays has the Lord uh, helped me? How many Sundays has the Lord been faithful? And so even already, this psalm is shaping the way that I ask the Lord for help. So the Lord preserves us uh, when we face trouble, especially when we face trouble. And it's interesting, if you look at the passage, it says, For evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. 
And when I first read that, I thought it was two parts. I thought it was saying external troubles have surrounded me. Um, Bad people, bad circumstances have surrounded me. But then as I was studying and reflecting on it more, I was realizing that actually it's saying that trouble has surrounded me. And as I read the psalm, I think he's saying because of some of my sinful choices. And it's interesting because I think this is human nature on our part. When trouble surrounds us or when bad things start happening, we tend to externalize it. We tend to think of it as this is happening to me. These are situations, this person is um, reacting to me or the situation happened to me rather than also sometimes it takes a long time before we begin looking at the possibility that maybe these are some of my sinful choices that are coming back around. So again, as you watch this, as you read this um, passage, it can be easy to think that, that these external things are just things happening to the psalmist. But sometimes, as we see in this passage, that it might just be a result of sin. He says, My iniquities have overtaken me so that I cannot see. They are more numerous than the hairs of my head, and my heart has failed me. The reality is that sometimes there's trouble in our lives because of a result of sin. Sinful choices we've made. Rebellious choices we've made. Angry choices we've made. So the psalm is talking about um, this uh, angst, this realization that, sur- that sin had surrounded them. And I wonder too if he's, uh, if he's feeling guilt here. Maybe this is conviction. Maybe there are sins that he has unconfessed, things that, that are still not addressed in his life. And he's feeling conviction about that. Or maybe these are sins that he has long ago confessed and they are behind him, but he still regrets them choices that he made that he wishes he could go back and change. Or maybe these are just the consequences, the consequences of sinful choices that he made years or decades ago that still plague him. I'm not sure which one it is. What, what aspect of sin is bothering him? But we can tell that it's gathered around him and that he's crying out for help. But the interesting thing is, as I was reflecting on this, is that this is where maturity begins looking to. Maturity doesn't assume that problems in our lives are just things happening to us. That as we mature, especially in faith, we begin to look at ways that maybe I've contributed to the situation. How have I contributed to these problems that surround me? How has my sin, my guilt, affected this? Maybe even brought this about. But then I look at the effect of this sin on him. The effect of it is his heart is broken. He says, I am not able to see. And actually in the Hebrew it says, I'm not even able to lift up my eyes. I can't even lift my eyes. I can't even lift my head. His heart has failed. I hear regret. The trouble that's surrounding him, I hear regret. And he's asking for help. The Lord will help us in trouble, and that is good news. And based on the past of who God is and what he's done, and despite our sin, that God will, that God will help. And then as we move to the next part of uh, verse 13, we can cry out for help. But we can cry out. He says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. 
Make haste, O Lord, to help me. Let those be ashamed and humiliated together who seek my life. And it's interesting, uh, this psalm, which is noted for being a psalm of asking God for help, out of 18 verses, it's not till verse 13 where it finally comes out, Lord, please help. The whole first half of it is recounting, is retelling God's faithfulness, retelling his goodness. And then he says, he begins with, be pleased. And I tried to understand this because sometimes, you know, the English, like be pleased doesn't, we don't really say that very often. So I was trying to get at it from, like, what does the Hebrew say here? And actually it's the same, be pleased. And I just had this realization that the psalmist is trying to get low here. He's trying to come um, well underneath God. Trying to, um, this is different from asking, Lord, please help, and a standing to laying down prostrate on the ground. Lord, please help. Lord, be pleased and come to my help. And then he says, deliver me. <laughs> deliver me. Please hurry. Help me. Um, it's interesting, for me at least, the, just the urgency of it. He's crying out for help and soon. This is total reliance on God. He's totally at that point where he's absolutely needing God's help. And he's so desperate for help, he says, I'm also out of time, God. Please hurry. And as I was thinking about this, I was wondering, you know, has he, has he been waiting, trying to figure this out on his own? And he's come to the end of his own ability and now he's saying, Lord, please hurry? Or has catastrophe just hit him? And he's just overwhelmed. And he says, Lord, please help. I need your help. If some of you are in this place this morning, this place where you're just overwhelmed and you're saying, Lord, please help, can I just say, bless you. Bless you, you can cry out to God. And he does help. He does hear. Then as we read this passage more, we see that there are... Uh, oh, sorry. <laughs> but there are two kinds of people. It says, this first group are the detractors, the external trouble around him. He says, let the detractors be humiliated. Let the those who uh, seek, who delight in my hurt, be dishonored. Let those who are appalled, uh, sorry, let those who say aha to me, let them be ashamed. Let them be appalled at their shame. It's interesting too because it begins sort of this progression. Let those who seek my life, let them be dishonored all the way down to those who are just, um, who just delight in his uh, failings. What I thought was interesting though is that the psalmist, um, he doesn't return in kind in the sense that for those who seek to destroy his life, he doesn't say, Lord, destroy their life. Lord, zap them with lightning. He says, Lord, let them be turned around in shame and confusion. And then those who delight in his mishaps, those who delighted that he was hurt, he doesn't say, Lord, hurt them back. He says, Lord, let them be ashamed of their delight. And to those who, he says, those who are say, aha, aha, when things go wrong for me, he doesn't say, Lord, turn it on them. He just says, Lord, let them be ashamed of it. 
thought that was interesting for me. How often do we, when someone is uh, troubling us, do we result to or resort to, Lord, get them back for me? And here the psalmist just says, Lord, let them be ashamed of what they've done. Let them realize their brokenness in it. Let them realize uh, how, how horrible it is. And let them be ashamed. So he's asking the Lord for help here. I think that's great too because he doesn't say, Lord, protect me as I go um, take their life or protect me as I go make fun of them. Protect me as I go uh, hurt them. He's asking for the Lord. He's relying on the Lord. But these kind of people, but those who are detractors, those who are troubling him, they're on the one side. On the other side, he has those who are faithful. Let all those who seek you and rejoice be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. He said, let those who seek and rejoice, let them say that the Lord is great and magnified. And I wonder if he's saying this, if he's, the psalmist saying, let those who say this after they've been helped. Because it's a pretty natural thing. After God has come through and helped us, it's pretty great to say, praise you, Lord. Sometimes I, I blow it even there. God does miraculous things in my life, and I say, thanks, God. Oh, by the way, here's ten other things that I could use some help with. But he said, those who really seek God, like they rejoice, they magnify God. But I couldn't help but wonder if maybe this isn't just glorifying God as a thank you or as a result of God coming through for them, but also glorifying God, praising God as a choice regardless of the outcome or maybe even before the outcome has come. As I'm reading this, I hear the psalmist saying, uh, let those who praise you, God, let those who uh, love your salvation say continually, the Lord is magnified. And I'm wondering if he's saying that encouraging us, or I'm drawing from this at least, that it's a choice we can make. That even when we're in the midst of trouble and we are still crying out, Lord, please help, that we can choose, we can choose to magnify him. We can choose to give him glory and to praise him. That we aren't one of the detractors, the first three, but we actually remain the second two, those who praise God as a choice. And then it comes to the honest asking. The last verse, if you look at it in your uh, bulletin, it says, verse 17, it says, Since I am afflicted and needy, let the Lord be mindful of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. He comes humbly to the Lord. Despite the trouble he's in, he's not demanding, Lord, here's my situation, I demand that you fix it. He comes humbly. He says, I'm afflicted. No doubt remembering that uh, his sin had surrounded him, the effects of his sin. He comes humbly to the Lord and asks for help. He names the reality. He speaks the truth about his situation. He remembers his place in relation to God. And he says, God, he completes with this, or he ends with this last point, complete reliance on God. Lord, you are my help. Please hurry. Please come to me. Uh, please do not delay. I need you. 
I'm grateful for his realization of his place, but also for the way that he asks. He says, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. So this morning, as we gather all these parts together, to remind you from last week that we can look back at God's faithfulness and bring that forward and it helps us in the way we ask for help now. But as we read this passage, we can be confident. We can uh, be ensured that God preserves us. Maybe not exactly and sometimes very different than the way we wanted or the way we expected, but the Lord will preserve us. He will keep watch over us. He will keep watch over us when we face trouble, regardless of the kind of, whether it's a result of our sin or it's an external thing from a detractor, and that we can cry out for help. Some of you are facing difficult things this morning. You are here and you barely made it. I know that. And it can be difficult to show up in church on a Sunday morning when it seems like everybody else has got it all together and you feel like you've just, you're just barely hanging on. I want to encourage you this morning that there is a God who helps us. There is a God who is faithful. A God who preserves and watches over us. We have a God who is emet, or faithful, continually faithful. We have a God who loves us with chesed love, this long, enduring, regardless of how badly we mess up, love. And reminded that as we look back at who God is, we remember what he's done. It gives us courage to move forward and to ask him for help. This morning, I want to encourage you. <laughs> if you are in the middle of a difficult spot, that God is good, that he will preserve you. We can't cry out for help. Amen. I just wanted to ask you a question. I don't know if you've been, if you did some of the reading this week, reading Psalm 40 and and recounting or remembering how God has been faithful. I'm just curious, um, how, does, how has uh, Psalm 40 uh, shaped the way you'll ask God for help? Any thoughts on that? Curious to hear from you. Things that we've heard this week or last week. I'm not praying spiritually anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. That's something that I've learned from this week as well. I think a lot of times when I say, Lord, help, I think really what I'm saying is, Lord, I'm afraid. Lord, I'm scared. Lord, I'm scared. And it comes out, Lord, please help. Lord, please help. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that, Susan. Yeah. Any other thoughts on how this psalm might help you as you ask God for help in difficult times? Yeah. Kim. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. This psalm has really helped me with that these last two weeks. Yeah, of recounting, remembering who God is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, Dave. thought, I mean, I would need to think some more about like, as she was going through treatment and that, I was terrified. I mean, that's, that's terrified. Um, you know, I never really thought in terms of um, is this the result of, of sinfulness? That never, um, I always had this sense that the world is just broken, that creation is fallen, and it doesn't work the way that it's supposed to anymore. Uh, it never felt as though a, a, a consequence of anything. You know, since, it's interesting, since Tracy was, like last last April, you know, she had surgery and they said, no more cancer, she's fine. Clinically, she's cured. God has spoken to me. Um, I, I have written like five different ways over the last year and a half. Um, if you want to ask me about those, I can talk to you about them another time. But, um, so I have all these things that, that, that speak to me about um, how, how, how faithful God is, how cured she is, how healed she is. And so for me, the difficult part has been trusting those things. Not only the spiritual, I guess, feedback I've gotten, the spiritual um, stuff I've learned, but also the clinical, you know, it says like she's cured. You know, there's no more, you know, and I, um, and so I'm realizing that as I'm working through my own fear, like um, that it's, that's the part that I'm, I'm hoping, or I'm. That's why I was so drawn to Psalm 40, as I continue to work through, I, to say it out loud, like it, like an irrational fear, really. Um, so, 
Yeah, it's it's complicated, you know, like with the situation in in the like around the the Caribou region, like the fires. You know, I um, I don't know. You know, I I suspect that people who are going through, I'm hopeful that those who are more mature in their faith are recounting God's faithfulness, and even though maybe their homes are being burned, um, yeah, I, that's a complicated one. Yeah, yeah, Yvonne. Yeah. I agree with you, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, too, the opposite or the flip side of that, too, is that, you know, there are some things that, that happen and I see how God has worked redemptively in them. You know, and sometimes he brings things to grow us intentionally and sometimes things just happen and God works redemptively in them. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that, Yvonne. Yeah, Doug. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You're totally right, Doug. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a broken, the brokenness is a state which you always want to 